0: Welcome to Adventures in Audio, a podcast featuring short stories by authors like Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and others. I'm Victoria Phelps. To enjoy this podcast to the fullest, it's advised to remove all mental debris from your brain. And once the chasms of your mind are void of all mental contamination, you're ready to enjoy these classic stories. And now here's your host, Robert Crandall. Greetings, dear friends and welcome. I'm Robert Crandall, your host. I'm delighted that you've chosen to join me for this podcast. Each episode, I will read a story of horror, mystery, crime, and related genres. And, oh, by the way, one more thing. Uh, I am a voiceover provider. If you need a voice for a radio or TV commercial or corporate narration or documentaries, uh, uh, whatever other voice project you may have, send me an email, robert.c850 at gmail.com. And if my voice isn't suitable for you, I do have friends in the business and we will get you taken care of. And I hope everybody is ready for the holidays. Thanksgiving is almost here. And then that means Christmas in just a few weeks and I hope everything goes well for you this year and then bingo we're another year 2016 believe that 2016 wow anyway let's get to the story on this podcast very interesting in this episode the story is a murder and betrayal and written by a living author. And the story, uh, this, this story, this betrayal may make you never trust anyone again. This one is really, really, uh, it, it, it is just bizarre, the treacherous betrayal in, the, in, in, this, in this story. And it also contains a gruesome murder scene so if that bothers you, and just, you've been forewarned. Zachary, Lang, Zachariah Lang, Langley is the author. So let's uh, listen now to The Detective Meets the Murderer by Zachariah Langley. The murder scene was like something out of a horror movie. Like every time before it, blood sprayed on the walls and pooled on the bed and floor. Parts of the victim's bodies arrayed in a twisted work of art, nailed to the wall, and his signature. A single W. One of the new officers takes one look at the scene and runs out past two detectives to throw up. Must be new, the one jokingly says to the other. They walk into the scene and scan it, looking for something that will lead them to this monster. Lieutenant Floyd walks up to the men. Richard, he says, shaking the first man's hand. Jake, he says to the second. Looks like more than one this time, Jake says, looking at the wall where two men wearing gloves are removing remains. Harold and Judas Adkins The lieutenant says, walking the scene. Both retired. Not too many friends. Neighbors didn't hear a thing. It's the same guy? Richard asks, looking at the bed, as a crime scene photographer takes pictures. Damn it! Serial killers! Jake looks at a bag with several bloody nails. The W on the wall is something he started doing after the first, Jake says. But the nails and the arranging the pieces is something new. I don't like it. I don't like it any more than you do, partner, Richard says to him. I don't like it, not for what he did, Jake says, looking at him. But for the fact, he's getting better and more into what he's doing. The lieutenant walks over to them. By the way, this is not a serial, he says. We've got enough crazy people coming in claiming responsibility for this to gain some kind of fame or whatever. Jake nods. I never got that, Richard says as they walk from the room. Why would anybody want to claim responsibility for something so horrible? Some people see horror, Jake says somberly. Others see an unsigned work of art. Richard laughs at that and pats him on the back. That's why you're my partner, Jake, he says, laughing as they walk outside, because you've got a way of seeing it through their eyes. I'm off in a few, meet me at Langley's. First round's on me, he says, getting into his car. Jake watches him pull off and gets a text message. Opening it, he recognizes the number and a chill. Runs up his spine. The text reads in capital. Tell him. He shakes his head. No, he says, talking to himself and getting into his car. Another text comes, and he nervously reads it. Closing his phone, he sadly sighs. You do it. You have no clue what you're talking about, the gruff bartender says to Richard. There's no way DiMaggio had Marilyn Monroe killed. And you can't tell me this conspiracy theory crap about it being the CIA in a barbiturate suppository, Richard says, taking his shot. Jake walks in with a smile on his face. Almost happy, he walks up to the bar and takes the shot waiting on him. Someone's in a good mood, the bartender says, pouring a shot and taking it himself. I found a clue. HE SAYS, SMILING. BACK AT THE HOUSE, I FELT SOMETHING WAS DIFFERENT ABOUT THE WAY HE DID THE SCENE, HE SAYS AS THE BARTENDER POURS ANOTHER SHOT. HE SLIDES IT TO RICHARD. I MATCHED THE SCENE TO A PAINTING IN THE CROSS'S LIVING ROOM AND FOUND ONE BLOODY FINGERPRINT. WELL, DID YOU GET THE LAB GUYS TO CHECK IT? RICHARD QUESTIONS, TAKING HIS SHOT. I FOUND IT AFTER THE ROOM HAD BEEN CLEARED he says, as another shot is poured. And don't have any fingerprint equipment in my vehicle, he says, taking the shot, and then smiling. But you do! Richard stands and almost falls. He begins laughing as Jake helps him up. Well, what are we waiting for? Richard says with a slight slur. I'm driving! Jake quickly takes his keys and helps his partner. I think you'd better let me do the driving he says, and they make their way out to Richard's car. The bar is a slight drive to the crime scene, which is now dark and marked off by yellow tape. The door should be unlocked, he says to him as Richard stumbles up the walkway, slowly sobering up. He shakes his head and walks in the door. The room is just about pitch black, except for the light for the street, and when he tries to flip on the lights, he finds... There's no power. Damn, he says, and startled by Jake walking in the door with a black medical case. Jesus! You scared the hell out of me. Guess I still got it, then, he says, smiling and walking in. Turning on a flashlight so they can see, Jake walks up to one of the paintings in a small gallery. Richard follows him, looking at the expensive frames and artwork, and shakes his head. Wonder what they paid for all this? He says, looking closely at the raised paint on the canvas. Jake puts on a pair of rubber gloves and opens the bag. The one you're looking at is a Chagall, and possibly worth several thousand dollars. He says, pulling items out of his bag. This is the one I was talking about, he says, standing in front of a rather large painting. Richard walks over to it with the flashlight held on it by laying it on the table, and studies the painting. In it is a hand, severed along with a full arm, from shoulder down, and another intersecting it. This painting's just like the crime scene, he says. A few extra body parts added to it, though. He suddenly feels a severe shock to the side of his neck and hits the ground, shaking. He realizes after a minute or two that it was a hand-held taser. Unable to move, he sees a pair of shoes walk toward him. "'Where is he?' he groggily says, being placed roughly in a chair. "'Where's my partner?' he looks up angrily to see that the one that tased him is his partner. "'Jake had to go away,' the new Jake, with the same face, says. The only difference Richard notices is his voice and his eyes. Who the hell are you, then? He asks as he's tied to a chair. The man grabs another chair, pulls it around, and sits in it backwards, facing his partner and friend for twelve years. I have a lot of names, he says, smiling still. But you can call me Jack. All right, Jack, he says, chuckling slightly. What the hell do you want? I want you to know that I'm the killer you've been looking for all these years, Jack says, and that you're going to disappear. Jake, he says with concern. If this is a joke, so help me. The man stops his speech by tasing him several times on the arms and legs. Look at me. He yells at him, grabbing him by the face. Does it look like I'm joking? He calms down and goes to some tools he laid out on the counter. An old candlestick sits close to the surgical steel objects, and a candle burns bright, helping him to see the few homemade nails, like from earlier, that he's pulled out. But the old bone knife is what he goes for. I've been doing this so long, he says, walking back over. I messed up really bad today, he chuckles slightly, thinking about it. I mean, it was like Jake wanted us to get caught, but I couldn't have that. You think I'm just going to go away while you continue your macabre killing spree? Richard says angrily. Think again! Jake likes you a lot, Jack says sheepishly. And I've even started liking you, even though you're an egomaniac and can be an ass sometimes he says smiling but there is something i can do to have you see it my way you can hear his screams from outside the house then it quickly goes quiet everything changes to morning and police cars and ambulance take over the view richard is wheeled out in a stretcher staring blankly into space as jake holes up in his car. What happened? He asks the lieutenant in almost shock about his partner's condition. Seems your boy, he says. Cut off his left ring finger and cut out his tongue. But he must have seen who did it, Jake says angrily. Whoever did it made sure he never talk or write, he says. There were third degree burns to the base of his skull or some sick bastard held a taser until the juice ran out he says as they load him into the ambulance he might as well be dead jake watches as the doors close and his partner gets a last glimpse of the man who pretty much ended his life but not totally we'll get the guy jake says to him as the ambulance pulls off we'll get him You've been listening to The Detective Meets the Murderer by Zachariah Langley. Now that the mental debris has been removed and the chasms of your mind have been purged of contamination and restored to an enhanced level of cognition, you are ready to rejoin the living. Caution is advised. Much peril awaits. Please be very careful. And I hope all is well. Thank you.